Well, good morning. How are we doing today? So thank you all for being here. And if you're tuning in online, we're glad that you have tuned in. And so I'm going to do something that I think is the second scariest thing you can do as a public speaker. The first is to tell you to close your eyes because the chance that you open them back up is really low. You might just take a nap and I'll lose you. But the, the, scare, the second scariest thing I think is to ask you to talk to each other because then I have to get your attention back. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to tell them which family member you most closely resemble and what physical trait it is that makes you think you resemble that family member. So you've got about 15 minutes to talk, or 15 seconds, not minutes. So yeah, it's going to be short today. You guys are going to talk through most of it. 15 seconds to do that. I'll tell you to switch and then the other person can go. So figure out who you're going to talk to, which family member you look the most like and what trait it is. Go. All right, go ahead and switch online. If you're doing this online, go ahead and click your answers or type your answers in the chat box. I'd love to read those this afternoon. All right, we're gonna draw you back together. So in preparation for this sermon this week, see, this is the part that's hard. You guys are gonna talk the whole time now. I know this is the way it goes. All right, so in preparation for the sermon this week, I spent some time looking through family pictures on the internet. Now, I will warn you, this is a dangerous and time-sucking activity that you can really get into the rabbit hole. But I've got a few pictures of people I found who share incredible family resemblances. So the first, some of these are famous people, some of them are not. The first one is a random mom and daughter. I was like, that is the most eerie same smile I think I've ever seen, so... Uh, the next is my good friend actually from college and his dad and his kid. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I met his dad and I was like, oh yeah, of course you're his dad. That makes total sense. Uh, I love to watch cooking shows. So uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Gordon Ramsay's son, but it's his doppelganger. Uh, like, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. We probably all know this one, Tom Hanks. He and his son look incredibly alike. Uh, maybe you're not as familiar in the rap world, but we've got Ice Cube and his son, uh, who are crazy. I read, ended up reading a story. Ice Cube's son played him in a movie. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, there'd be no makeup necessary. And the last one is actually my brother. Uh, so we are not twins, but whenever my sister-in-law posts pictures of him on Facebook, I get notifications that someone posted a picture of me and I should go tag myself in it. I'm like, I'll pass. All right, so a fun little exercise, but what does it have to do with Advent? Which, if you were here last week, we learned that Advent is just really a churchy word that talks about coming or arrival. Well, I'm glad you asked, because I want to tell you what it has to do with it. If you've been here with us for the last couple of weeks, you know we're on week three of our Advent series, What's in a Name? Where we've been looking at Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, where he has these four names that he uses for Israel's coming king, and who as followers of Jesus, we have taken and said, Jesus has fulfilled these. So two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as wonderful counselor, the source of our wisdom. Last week, we looked at Jesus as our mighty God, who has the strength for all of our brokenness. And this week, 
We're going to take a look at the third name, Everlasting Father. But before we dive into that name, I know that this is a name in a crowd this big that's going to carry some connotations that make it hard for you to get past. Because not all of us have had great earthly fathers to look up to. And so the idea of looking at God as a father brings up wounds and hurts and things that we go, I'm really uncomfortable all of a sudden. What I want to say to you in the room is that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that those things happened. I'm sorry that that's your history. I'm sorry that that's your story. I wish I had the power to go back and make that right. And I don't. But the truth is, the God who came as a baby in that manger came to meet you in that place of pain and hurt and came to bring life and healing in your life. And so as we look at God as Heavenly Father, as we think about Jesus as Heavenly Father, I want you to see him as the only person that can maybe bring hurt to that deep, deep scar that's in your life. So what does it mean that God is our Father? Well, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, it means much like these pictures, we should have some kind of family resemblance. Maybe not physical in this sense, but as followers of Jesus, our lives should look like and be characterized by the same things that characterize our Heavenly Father. Don't miss that because it's really important. So if you take one thing home today, this is it. Followers of Jesus are called to resemble their Father in the world. Followers of Jesus are called to resemble their father in the world. And there might be no better passage to show us the heart and the character and the nature of God as our father than Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead, pull it out. We're going to take a look at probably one of the most well-known parables in all of the New Testament. So again, you can open the YouVersion Bible app, read along there in the NLT. If you want all the sermon notes, you can click at the bottom, hit more, click events, type in Great Oaks, you'll find us. If you're in a paper Bible, you're in the second half of it, third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're picking up in chapter 15. Now as you turn there, last week we took a look at a verse in Colossians chapter 1 that said Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So where better to look if we're going to look for and try to understand the nature of God and God as Father than to actually look at the Gospels and the life and ministry and times of Jesus who was seen here on earth and who does make those things clear. And when we look at these character traits, we need to understand that these traits are eternal. That God is everlasting, Father, means that these character traits have always been, will always be, and that God's character and nature doesn't change. So when we say everlasting, Father, we mean that he's the Father who was the same at the beginning of time and before, and he'll be this Father who's the same at the end of time. Now, if you know much about the Bible, Luke 15, you've got it there in front of you, is three parables. One about a woman who loses a coin, cleans her house. One about a shepherd who loses a sheep, leaves 99 to go find that sheep. And then there's the parable 
of the prodigal son. A parable of two sons and their dad. And how the one son asks his dad for all his money, takes it, squanders it, comes back broken, receives forgiveness, and the older brother who doesn't like that very much. So that's the story in a nutshell. And we're going to kind of read that and break it down. But this morning as we go through this text, I want, to take, I want us to think and take a look at how this text describes the Father. And I pray that it will open our eyes as to how we, as followers of Jesus, are called to resemble him. The first thing I think it shows us is a Father who gives space to make mistakes. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. This is probably the hardest thing for me to accept as a parent, right? I have two kids, and The truth is, if you look at this story, it would be much easier as a parent to raise the older brother. You know, the one who follows all the rules, who does all the right things, who stays at home. And so we want to raise that kind of kid. We don't want to raise the rebel who goes out and wastes all all his inheritance and all those things. But God gives this younger brother a chance to make the mistakes. Take a look with me. John chapter 15, verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now, don't don't just gloss over this story and be like, oh yeah, I've heard it before. This son walks up to his dad, and in asking for his share of the inheritance, essentially looks at him and says, I wish you were dead. Any parents of teenagers heard that this week? Just thought I'd ask. Right? I wish you were dead. I want all your money. I want what's due to me when you die. Now, if our kids walked up to us and said that, we'd probably look at them and be like, yeah, that's funny. No, go away. It's not actually what the father in the story does. He says, okay. And he lets this son make the mistakes. He watches him walk out the door. He doesn't run after him and grab him and say, no, please stay. He doesn't beg. He lets the son go. The son goes. He takes this money. He takes his father's inheritance. And he ends up humiliated. Now, I lived in Indiana for a while. And we lived on a farm, and in the little community we lived in, I didn't farm it, but somebody else did, but we were in a farmhouse. In the community, there were pig farms around, and you always knew that there were pig farms around. The wind blew the right direction, you're like, whoo, yeah, that's rough. And this son, who comes from privilege, who came from a place that his father was able to say, okay, here's your part of the inheritance, go, now finds himself knee-deep in the mud of the pigs, broken, homeless, 
empty. And for him, a pig is the most vile of animals because this boy would have been Jewish and those animals are unclean. And he finds himself in that place wanting to eat their food. Now, I always picture this as like a bucket. I don't know what's actually in. Never fed a pig. I don't know. So it's a lot grosser in my mind, but I'm like, did he just like, hmm, hard corn? Can't be that bad. We ask ourselves in our society, how does this father allow his son to do these things? In a culture of helicopter parenting, we can't even imagine allowing our kids to fail a test, let alone fail to this level, to go out and waste our money. We, don't, we want to protect them from that pain. This isn't love in the way we see love today. And while we may not see it as a loving act, my question would be, what's the alternative when this is what your kid wants? How do we as followers of Jesus then allow people around us to make mistakes? What's that look like to reflect that back? I think one of the best ways we can do that is to stop trying to be the morality police. What I mean by that is there are people who don't hold to our values, who don't hold to our morals, who don't agree with that. And I think sometimes in a cult, in culture, we spend way too much time arguing their morals and not enough time introducing them to the God who loves them. I sat in a high school Sunday school class once when I was a youth pastor and this girl came in and she was furious. We'll call her Chloe. She came in and she's like, Jason, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, what's going on? And she's like, at the lunch table I sit at, my friends won't stop using the F-bomb. And I'm like, why does that bother you? It doesn't bother you? Are, do these friends call themselves Christians? Well, no. Then why wouldn't they use that word? Well, it's not nice. Based on whose definition of nice? And she just kept pushing and pushing. And I'm like, I get it. It bothers you. But what we need to worry about is did those people who are making those decisions, and you can figure out whoever they are for you, do we need to give them the space to make mistakes? Because they don't have the same moral standards. They don't have the same rules that we have. It's heartbreaking, I get it, to watch those you love walk away from a God who loves them. It's heartbreaking to watch them make mistakes that are going to ruin their life. And I'm not saying that we should ever stop praying for them, that we should ever stop reaching out to them, that we should stop spending time with them, but maybe instead of trying to battle their bad behaviors, we should start actually loving them walking alongside them, refusing to walk away from them no matter what they do, asking questions to better understand what's going on inside their lives. And instead of trying to win the argument, maybe we should just stop and listen. 
which I think actually takes us to the next truth. We are called to reflect a father who loves unconditionally. Take a look at verse 17 through 21. When he finally came to his senses, this is the boy, the son that walked away, he said to himself, at home, even hired servants had enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in this kid's life. He's like sitting in the mud. Maybe he picked up that pod and he was going to eat that pig food. And all of a sudden, as he's putting that to his mouth, he goes, wait a minute. My dad had servants. I watched them the whole time we grew up. They were always fed. They were always taken care of. This will be humiliating. But I'm going to go back home. Maybe my dad will hire me as a servant. And so he picks himself up. And he begins rehearsing his apology speech. Right? Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Can I be your servant? He begins to rehearse that speech as he walks home. Now, I grew up in West Virginia, and my grandparents had a big farmhouse that sat up on the hill. It had a giant picture window. And every time I read this story of the prodigal son, I think about the father sitting at that window because I remember with my brother sitting at that window and you could see the road for what felt like miles out around the bend. And we'd see who could see the car coming around the bend the first. And so as this son is rehearsing his apology speech on the way home, what he has no clue is his dad is waiting on him. sitting at that window. I wonder if he just sits there praying every day. God, I don't know where my kid is. I don't know what's going on in his life. But I pray you're watching over him. I pray he's safe. Maybe praise God, I pray to bring him home. And so this kid with his shame and his humiliation, with his head hung, is rehearsing his speech. The dad's looking at the window and he goes, is that my kid? Is that him on the horizon? And he begins to see him, and he gets closer, and he notices the stride, and like any father would, he notices his gait. And out he runs, and down the driveway, and as the son turns to come home, the dad is there to greet him. A father, an older man, in Jewish times, one does not run, and two does not embrace anyone. But this father who loves his son unconditionally runs out to meet him and wraps his arms in him, holds on to him and clings to him. And before the son can even finish the speech, the dad talks. The truth is unconditional love will force us to do extravagant things, things that aren't culturally normal. Church, it makes me wonder, 
As I read the Gospels, as I look at the life of Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, crowds came and followed around him, right? There were crowds of people to hear, to see, to be around. Do you ever wonder why there are crowds of people around him and yet church attendance on Sunday is dropping all across America? I wonder if maybe we would be more engaging to the culture around us if we were filled with the same unconditional love and compassion that this father has for his son. If we stop talking about them and those people and started stop separating them and us and simply began to love everyone unconditionally. When this son came home, he hasn't bathed. He still smells like pigs. And his dad runs and embraces his pig-smelling son and says, I'm so glad you're home. The truth is, church, we have examples of this all around us. I got a chance to see one or to hear stories of one this week. Chase and I were invited down to the Dream Center Peoria where we met with a lady named Denise. She's the director of operations. And she told us about a mobile hair salon that they have. So I, I was shocked I could go on and on and like keep you here all day talking about Dream Center. I was amazed by the, the breadth of things that they can do. But she had a slideshow and she told us a story about this mobile hair salon. They took it over to Washington. And they had homeless people coming to get their hair washed, to get their beards trimmed. And this one guy walked up and she had a picture of him and you could see the disease, some kind of skin disease on his skin. And she said, you can't see it in the picture. Obviously, it wasn't scratch and sniff. She said he did not smell good. She said, what I'm amazed by the people who cut these men's hair is that they don't lean back. They lean in. They get close. Maybe one of the things we don't think about very often is how long it's been since someone who's homeless has been embraced, has been touched, because everybody stays away. But the gospel calls us to lean in. It calls us to move closer. It calls us to love in ways that aren't culturally normal. It calls us to do extravagant things. And so, as followers of Jesus, we're called to resemble our Father. We're called to give people space to make mistakes. We're called to love them unconditionally. And we're called to welcome the broken. His Father loved his Son. It didn't matter what he'd done. He welcomes his Son in, not as a servant, but as a son. If you continue reading in that story, as the Son comes home, the dad says, bring the robe, bring a ring, bring sandals, kill the fattened calf. In saying, bring the robe, he said, bring the best robe. This would be a robe that's reserved for a guest of honor at a banquet in his house. Bring that robe and put it on my son. Bring the ring. A ring with a family seal on it that represents sonship. It represents restoration. It represents this son's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as my son. Bring him sandals. Only free men wore shoes. 
Servants didn't have shoes. This father, in his abundance of love, has a party for his kid who's come home. It's time to celebrate. Church, can we ask ourselves a hard question this morning? Are we a place where the broken are welcomed? A place where people can belong before they believe. A place where people feel welcome to come in, even if they still got questions. Even if they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Can we be a church that says you belong here, even before you believe all the right stuff? What I think it means to belong before you believe is that they're known. When this son came home, he came home to his father who knew him. He knew his personality. He knew his hurt. He knew his pain. He knew what he was going through. And he wraps his arms around him. It also means that the son knew. The son knew. He knew his dad knew he messed up. Yet he never got to finish his apology. And it wasn't because his dad looked at him and said, I can't believe you wasted all my money. Because his dad ran to him and embraced him and welcomed him in in all of his brokenness. Because his dad saw the value in his son as a creation of an eternal God who loves him and made him. As broken people walk into this place. People who don't have it figured out yet. People who don't have all the answers maybe you and I have. Do we see them as a created being? with value because God says they have value because they're made in his image. And I believe that when we become a place where people can belong before they believe, their life will change. We don't get to see the end of this son's story. There's a party, right? That's how it ends. But the story of the gospel is that almost every person who meets Jesus, who has this encounter, this meeting, they walk away and life is different. They walk away and something's changed. You see, church, I think it's above our pay grade to try to fix the brokenness in the lives of those who are hurting around us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of our loving Heavenly Father. Our work is to love them, to walk alongside them, And to tell them about a God who loves them. Our work isn't to say, you know what? You sin differently than I do. And I don't like that. Because isn't that what it's really about? It's easy to love the people who sin like we do. It's hard to love the people who sin differently than we do. Now, please don't hear me say, This is all just about love, right? It's all just happy, gushy love. That's not what I mean. I just think it's above our pay grade to deal out the discipline for that. But God makes it clear. He's a father, right? Hebrews 12. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As we endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. 
Who ever heard of a child who, never, who was never disciplined by his father? It's different when a God who loves us, who invites us in, says, hey, there's going to be some consequences for those choices. Then when your brother or sister look at you and go, this is the consequence for your choice. Right? I'm sure you have that. If you have more than one child, you have watched an older sibling discipline a younger brother and been like, not your place. I think the same is true in the church. Followers of Jesus are called to resemble their father. There's one last way we do that. And we do that with grace for the proud. We've talked a lot about the younger brother. Let's take a look at the older brother for a minute. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for the brother, your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is now found. There are some of us in the room this morning who feel like this older brother or who live life like this older brother. And the truth of the gospel for you is God loves you. And maybe as the older brother or as the older sister, as the one who's done it all right, we've missed the point. We thought it was just about doing enough good things. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we want to point fingers at those who don't do all the things they're supposed to do. The truth is that type of attitude has robbed us of the joy and the depth of experience of God's love for us. This older son had everything that the father owned was his because what was left was his. He gave the rest of it to his little brother. But what we see is a father who walks out to his son, who goes and meets him where he's at. He didn't wait for the older brother to come in. He went to him. And he says, come, come experience, come celebrate with us. I wonder if he didn't just put his arm around his son and say, son, look. All of this was yours. You didn't have to ask me for a goat. The goat belongs to you. You could take it anytime you wanted and celebrate. It's not about following the rules. It's about experiencing my love. Church, it's about living life, realizing that God stepped out of heaven came as an infant, walked among this earth, went to a cross, died a humiliating death, 
walked out of a grave because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he wanted to be with us. Because he loves your neighbor. And he says, you want to do something back? My love's free. Take it. And to love me back. Live a life with gratitude and love as a thank you note back to me. Showing the world around them, around you, how much I love them. You see, when we let our pride get in the way, when we think we've done it, we miss the joy. We miss the celebration. We miss the heart of our Father. And we end up really grumpy and really cranky and not very fun to be around. But when we realize we've been loved with a love we didn't deserve, we're free to love with the love that those around us don't deserve. That's the truth of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward of the good things you've done. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Church, we're not the gatekeepers. We don't get to decide who gets to experience the love of the Father and who doesn't. It's not the older son's best moment. All this attitude does is rob us of the joy of being a son or daughter of our everlasting Father who never changes and who loves us just as much today as he did yesterday. And he loves those around us the same. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to learn to resemble our Father to the world. And as we receive that grace and his love, we celebrate the things he celebrates. So this Advent season, as we wait to celebrate again the birth of Jesus, my prayer for each of us is that we'll spend some time reflecting on the character and nature of our everlasting Father. A father who gives us space to make mistakes. A father who loves us unconditionally. A father who welcomed us when we were broken. And a father who has grace for our pride. Now, if you're here this morning, whether in the room or tuning in online, and you have never experienced the love of this father, I want you to know that is a love unconditional. And it's a love that's free for you. And so in just a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'll invite you to pray that prayer silently in your heart, either online or with me in the room. And if you've never accepted the Father's love, but you're ready to this morning, there's nothing magical about these words. Little fairy dust doesn't fall from the sky when you pray these words. But they're words that communicate to the God who loves us, that we want to follow him. And church, as you think about your family resemblance, what attitude or behavior do we need to talk to God about and repent from, turn away from, give up, say, I'm sorry? 
Who do we need the strength of the Holy Spirit to actually love this holiday season? Because we can't do this on our own. But who do we need to say, God, I need help. I need help loving this person this holiday season. And one last question for you to ask yourself. What is one thing we can do this week to better resemble the character and nature of our everlasting Father? What's one thing you can do this week that would resemble the character and nature of our everlasting Father to those around you? Church will never reach perfection. We're going to make mistakes. But as we learn to live and to better understand how wide and how deep God's love is for us, I pray that we would return that depth and breadth of love to those we can interact with. Let's pray. If you're here and you want to accept the Father's love for the first time, I just want to invite you, pray these words silently after me. Jesus, for far too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm broken and I can't fix myself. I'm ready to turn away from my past mistakes and to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you, Father, for bearing my sins, for giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life, Jesus. God, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you for Jesus who you sent so we could see your nature and your character. God, give us strength this week to live out those truths so that others can see. They can see how much you love us. They can see how much we love them. God, we pray for wisdom to know when to speak and when to listen. When to share the truth of your gospel and when to allow those who are hurting to just share their heart. God, may you be the center of all we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.